Yeah, you got that right, folks. We're back. It's the Detroiter. We're uh, covering sports in the Motor City and the Minton State. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. It's a fucking pleasure to be here, everyone. I mean, it is a goddamned pleasure that I got to enjoy a Thanksgiving weekend. Really a long weekend. Started Wednesday. I had a half day of work, which is a beautiful thing. Shout out to corporate America and everybody who was kind of like, you know what? It is absolutely fucking pointless for any of us to be here. So why don't you just go home? Why don't we all stop pretending that we're going to come in and do work and finish things that matter and make anybody any money? Let's cut out the horse shit. Let's all just go home. You can start drinking beers. If you got to defrost that turkey, pull that thing out of the freezer. Maybe you can invite your grandparents over. Maybe you got to make a couple FaceTimes. You got a long distance Thanksgiving. Whatever the case is. Can we quit pretending that that Wednesday before Thanksgiving, anybody is doing anything? I mean, for the love of God, what, what's the point? I got there. I went into work that day. Shout out to me. Shout out to me for going into work the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Mind you, I could have very easily worked from home. I didn't. I didn't. I got an absolutely nasty pump in the morning. And then I went into the office, just me being a hero, not a big deal. I went in. To be my most productive, to say, you know what? We're only working a half day. The four hours that I'm here, I'm, let's bust some tail. Let, let's make this billionaire or whoever the shareholders are, let's make them a little bit more money today. Let's do that. And then maybe the Thanksgiving dinner, the turkey, the stuffing, the pumpkin pie, maybe everything just tastes a little bit better. When I know on Thursday, hey, yesterday, I fucking, I was, it was only a half day, but God damn it, that was the hardest half day anyone's ever worked. I got into my office Wednesday around 8.30 a.m., I believe. And from the moment I got there, I could tell it was like, oh, shit, I've made a mistake. Yep, 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 yep. Me being here right now is about as useless as useless gets. That's how I would describe it. About as useless as useless gets. I mean, there was absolutely no reason for me to be in that office Wednesday. I wanted to prove it to myself, I guess. Um, I don't know, maybe to my peers, maybe to my superiors. I wanted to show, hey, fucking check one off for Nick Bradley. This guy is here on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I would love to have done that. I would have loved for all of that to have come to fruition and, you know, a couple brownie points. Never hurt in any walk of life, let alone the corporate world. But that couldn't have possibly happened because none of those people were fucking there. None of my bosses were there. None of my coworkers were there. I don't even think the janitors, like the people who were cleaning all day, don't think they were there. I really think it was my car and like maybe three others. I was at work for four hours. I think I saw one person the entire day. I went upstairs to take a piss and someone walked by me. One person in four hours. That does not happen. That doesn't, I can't be alone at work. My thing is I'd rather just go sit alone and work on something and listen to a podcast or listen to music. I can't find alone time at work. Typically I saw one person over the course of four hours and it wasn't a boss, wasn't a coworker. It was a person who, if I saw him down the street again today, I would have no fucking clue who they were. I didn't remember who it was. I didn't remember the face. It was someone not important to me enough that I just have no recollection of even seeing them to begin with. It's a damn shame. So can we please for the everybody's sake, right? Can we please quit pretending with the Wednesday before I get the whole American culture is work hard, work hard, work hard. I understand capitalism is some rich dude at the reins fucking. Yeah. 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 You can't take days off. I understand that that's kind of the system we're in, which, you know, fair enough. I'm not here to promote communism. <laughs> or anything. This has taken a controversial turn unexpectedly and very suddenly. But the point I'm trying to make is this. I get it's part of the deal with capitalism, but look, Bezos, Elon, like whoever it is, whichever multi-billionaire magnate it is at the top of these companies that people are working the Wednesday before Thanksgiving to satisfy. Can we just look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves? Nobody's doing shit, guys. I hate to say it like Elon, whoever your right hand man is that you left at the SpaceX offices Wednesday and you left going, oh, they're going to have a good day at work today. Oh, oh, they're going to get shit done. I got this guy here. Listen, dude, I hate to break it to you and I don't want to blow this guy's cover because he's probably a great man 
He probably does do a good job. He's probably paying a mortgage that he won't be able to afford if you let him go. But they didn't do fucking squat at SpaceX on Wednesday. I'm sorry, Elon. Bezos. Whoever's running Amazon these days, it sure isn't Jeff Bezos. This guy's jacked as fuck, running around with models, buying super yachts, the lengths of 12 football fields. He's not running Amazon anymore. He cashed his check. He's hanging out. But whoever it is that's running Amazon and has Bezos' confidence where Bezos can go, you know what? I'm going to do the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I'm going to sail around Mallorca, but Professor X or whoever the fuck it is will be making me money through Amazon because he's a good worker and he's going to finger to the bone on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Bezos, I hate to break it to you. Professor X, the wheelchair never turned on on Wednesday. He never got out of bed. He never did anything. He never used that special mind of his. Amazon didn't do jittily squat on Wednesday. I hate to break it to you. Now, maybe, you know, the blue collar people, the delivery drivers, the warehouses were working. Okay. I'm sure those are probably 24 seven. I don't know how all that works, but the people in the offices, they didn't do fuck. Seattle HQ, they didn't do fuck. And anybody who was there, all they were doing was talking about the sports on Thursday, talking about their plans for Thanksgiving, talking about what they were going to do Wednesday night. That's it. Talking about, oh, I love your sweater. Where'd you get it? Crate and barrel. That's it. Nobody was like, oh, shit. It's 11 11 a.m. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. How do we optimize the supply line from China to fucking Turkey? Nobody. Nobody was on the case. That's a Monday problem. That got our, that was addressed this week. Okay. I just, I'm not upset about it because again, like I said, I get it. That's just how, you know, the world works, but at some point, like, who are we kidding? I understand these guys, the reasons they're billionaires and the reasons they're the head of SpaceX and Tesla and Amazon and whatever else is because they're greedy bastards who never want to stop working. I get that. But let's let's quit it with the charade. Let's let's relax with the oh, I'm sure everybody's, you know, they got to come into work the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So I'm sure that means they're going to do work. No, no. I went into work the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I didn't have to. I did it out of the goodness out of my heart and out of being someone the hardest worker in the room. Move over, Dwayne The Rock. I went into work. And even if I wanted to do something. I'm not totally sure I could have. Yeah, there were a few things I could do. But do you know how hard it is to work when literally nobody else is around? No, but not one of your coworkers. You're sitting back going, I'm here right now. And my buddy's probably watching. It's a turkey, Charlie Brown, or whatever the fucking Thanksgiving one is. What am I doing here? Even the offices that were full. You think people were jazzed? They came in 8 a.m., bright-eyed, bushy-tilled. Let's crank out some Excels today. No, they didn't. They came in and go, I'm going to have three coffees, eat lunch, and go home. That's all anybody did. So for the love of God, for the love of people's sanity, and just like you get one life, they always say life's too short to be upset. Life's too short to hold the grudge. Life's too short to work the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. None of us are doing anything actually. I get the billionaires. I get the shareholders. Fucking look in the mirror. You know we're not doing You're not doing shit. You think we're going to do shit? Boss makes a dollar. I make a dime. You think we're going to take it upon ourselves to work extra hard the Wednesday before Thanksgiving? It's warm sacks of organs sitting in chairs that have shitty lumbar support, looking out the window, waiting for the sun to get low enough where they can finally fairly justify getting in the car, going home, and getting the long weekend started. Plain and simple. That's what the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, it isn't, it isn't fucking earnings day on the floor. It isn't the day Elon makes his nut. No, 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 no. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving may as well fucking be Thanksgiving. It's, it's just time that we, it's time that we call a spade a spade. You get Christmas Eve off, you get Christmas off. Okay. That's great. You get Thanksgiving off. Let's, let's. Thanksgiving Eve. Just throw it in there. Nobody's doing shit, guys. Nobody's doing shit. Plain and simple. And you know what? This might get even crazier. And I don't know if you could do it in the food game, like grocery stores, but I wouldn't hate the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Why don't we close up retail too? I don't know if they're open on Thanksgiving retail places. 
I hope not. I'm not totally sure. But let's close them up the day before. They got enough on their plate with Black Friday and that whole weekend, Cyber Monday. They got enough on their plate. Why don't we throw them about? Take the Wednesday off too. Fucking get a little rest. Stay off your feet. Clear that mind. Watch the prices right maybe when the customer, hey, how much is that love seat? Fucking $599.99. You just got it there. All you've been doing the Wednesday before is watching Price and Right, Crate and Barrel Edition. You're going to be on your tippy fucking toes when Black Friday comes around and you've got a swarm of people more ferocious than Attila the Hun and the Huns <laughs> asking you how much a couch is. Just a thought. Nothing to do with sports. We will talk sports in the Motor City and the Midden States. Just some passing thoughts coming off this Thanksgiving weekend. So I started, I say all that to say, it is an honor to come off the Thanksgiving weekend I had. I'm lucky enough. I live in California now, for those of you who may know. I uh, spent the weekend, didn't go home back to Michigan for it. We're going to save that for a, a very expeditious stay in the Mitten States over Christmas time. So we're saving up the PTO, the patience with my boss, the ability to work remote, all that good shit. And then, and then we're going to finagle some things around. We're saving all that for Christmas. So I went down to Joshua Tree National Park with a couple friends. Um, spent Thanksgiving there. It was a good time. I mean, the Lions game was electric. Obviously, they lost. Had they won, it'd be one of the best Thanksgivings I've had in a while, just as far as doing something new, adventurous, exciting. And then the Lions beating the Bills and making it four in a row and everybody in the world hair on fire for Dan Campbell and the Motor City Cats. Didn't quite go that way. Um, everything else was great. The Lions did lose, though, um, as per tradition. So, you know, I can move a thousand, couple thousand miles away, spend say, a holiday in the desert rather than the snow. But no matter what I do, those Detroit Lions, they he just refused to fucking win on Thanksgiving. So that is what it is. I don't want to get too down on it because it was an awesome game. Um, prob The Dallas, was it Dallas? Or no, no, no. The Minnesota game was pretty fun too, if I remember correctly. Actually, no, Minnesota wiped them. Was one of the other games good? Because Dallas kind of cleaned the Giants, didn't they? Anyways, I was going to say it was the game of the day, but I can't really remember the other two off the top of my head. It was an unreal game. I mean, the Lions looked great. They were fucking right there, but it's like, I agree with people. Like, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. I don't want to be, we stink, a loss is a loss. Like, I don't want to be the person who comes on after that, losing the one of the three, probably, what is it, Birds? Bills, Chiefs, maybe the Vikings, like maybe the Vikings. I don't really know about them though, but I know, you know, you lose the one of the three Super Bowl contenders. You just won three in a row. It's not like you got smashed. It was a great game. You had them there for a while. It was back and forth. They actually did a pretty good job for the most part containing Josh Allen I thought Jared Goff played really well. Um, I thought the offensive line played really well. I thought the run game was pretty good. I thought Dan Campbell did a really good job. I, It's just uh, you lost to Josh Allen, and they got the ball with, what was it, like fucking 20 seconds left, and they got down and kicked the field goal I, but like with time to spare. I just – it is what it is. And the thing that people want to come back to is that third down and one play call where golf went down the sideline to DJ Chark. And then you look, people on Twitter at least will have seen the all 22, Amon Ra's open over the middle. Um, somebody else was open deeper over the middle. And then one of our tight ends is just streaking. Nobody on him down the middle, but there was pressure in his face. He was moving. He had to make a decision. Third and one, DJ Chark, one-on-one -on -one coverage. And hey, I'll, uh, DJ Chark had his man beat. DJ Char, say what you want. Run it. It's third and one. Your offensive line. Run it. Drain the clock. All right, fine. Third and one. Amon Ra's open right in front of you on the drag. Hit him and pick up the first down and live to see another. Okay, fine. Say what you want to say about golf making the wrong read or Ben Johnson calling the wrong play. Say what you want about that third down and one. You can say is the reason they lost the game. I mean, there's multiple reasons. It's a fucking football game. There isn't one play. That cost them that game. But say what you want about the third and one. DJ Chark was open. The play worked. I don't think you can go and look at Ben Johnson 
and criticize him. Maybe you can talk about Goff. Maybe you can talk about the right side of the offensive line not holding up long enough. They did send the house. Maybe you can talk about DJ Chark not adjusting. I don't know. Whatever the case is, whoever you want to talk about, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't think you can talk about Ben Johnson because, look, he called that play. Buffalo sent the house. Buffalo expected run. They sold out on it. Jared Goff had like three guys open. The play worked. Everybody who ran a route was open. The play fucking worked. DJ Chark, the guy who got the ball thrown to him, was open. He had a step on his man. It was one-on-one on the outside. There's a fucking reason the Detroit Lions went out and got DJ Chark in the offseason. They've missed him the last few weeks. He's been a little hurt. You get one-on-one, he gets a step. Jared Goff has someone breathing down his neck. He looks at him. He sees him. Not only if he completes that pass, do you pick up the first down, DJ Chark probably gets in the end zone, and now Buffalo, a field goal doesn't get it done. Now they need to go down and score a touchdown. Granted, they would have had more time. Granted, they had their timeouts. But still, give me a defense that has to give up. Excuse me. Give me the Lions defense out there against Allen in the offense, and they need to score a touchdown with more time then less time, and all they need to get is to the fucking 40-yard line to let a boot go. I mean, they threw one play. They threw one pass to Stephon Diggs, and they were in field goal range. They got the ball, I think, after we kicked the field goal with like 25 seconds left. They they ran one play, and they were in field goal range. That's the difference. Even if that shark play connected, which if it does, he goes on to score, people I'm sure, people I'm fucking sure would still come out and be like, that was a stupid call because even though it worked, it left them too much time. I'd rather face Josh Allen with two minutes and they have to score a touchdown than with 25 seconds and they just got to get to the 40. Every single day of the week, especially when Buffalo has the timeouts because it goes from two things. The Lions, the position the Lions were in after that third down didn't work and they had to settle for the field goal. And all Buffalo had to do was kick a field goal, not to tie, but to win. The position the Lions put themselves in when that happened was now Aaron Glenn is going to call defense not to get a stop, not to fluster Josh Allen, not to make plays. He's not going to call defense the way he's called it all game. And it was pretty effective. Obviously, you didn't shut him out. Obviously, Buffalo still found a couple ways to score. It's a great fucking offense. Josh Allen's nasty. Stephon Diggs is nasty. They're going to score points. That's just that shit that it happens. It happens when you play very, very, very good teams and elite level quarterbacks. And let's not forget, as, as great as the Lions defense was in the month of November and as much as they've improved from the start of the year, it's not like we're talking about the 85 Bears defensively, right? This defense, they can keep improving. They're still going to get scored on. Most defense, the best defenses in football will get scored on. That's part of the game. The problem when they get those 25 seconds is now Aaron Glenn goes, let's rush three, let's maximum rush four. Everybody sit back, give them the middle of the field, protect the sidelines, give them 15 yards of cushion, nobody behind you. Let's make them run. Play. Like The defense goes from you're calling defense to stop them, to force turnovers, to get to the quarterback, to force long third downs, to force fourth downs, to force punts, to you're calling defense to hopefully they don't complete a pass for over 20 yards in a single play. The moment you flipped a switch, and I've did I was it last week? Recently on one of the episodes, I went on a fucking tangent about how the number one way to lose football games is to coach them not to lose. The number one way to make sure an offense goes stagnant is to call offense like you're up 50. The number one way to get scored on is to call defense like you're up 50. It's tried and true at every fucking level. Michigan State does it. The Lions do it. High school teams do it. Every fucking team who's ever played football and is whoever whoever has called defense like a prevent, oh shit, don't let them score, they know. How many times did Matthew Stafford as a Lion do that to other teams? He had that one year. He had like eight game-winning drives or whatever. Every single one of those defenses, for whatever reason, for that one drive, just because I guess it is the last drive, 
call defense differently than they had all game. Throughout the rest of the game, they'd forced Stafford to punt. They had forced maybe an interception, maybe a fumble, maybe a fourth down and no, not getting it. They had forced the Lions offense to get off the field. They had forced turnovers. But for whatever reason, that year, Stafford's entire career, it happens every week across the league. Defensive coordinators go, okay, this will probably be the last possession of the game. So for that reason, let me completely change my defensive philosophy that I've stuck with, the game plan that we devised all week. Let me completely change it and alter it. I don't know, just because it's later in the game. For whatever reason, they'll do that, and it never once works. Ironically enough, in a different sort of football, USA Today, same shit almost just happened. They were up 1-0 on Iran. The game starts to get later and later and later. People's, you know, the butthole's starting to clench. Need to hold on to this lead. You need to win the game to move on to the elimination stage. For whatever reason, the U.S. parks the bus, and almost immediately – Right when the United States decides, let's keep the forwards back. Let's not try anything too risky offensively. We don't want to be susceptible to the counter. Pulisic, or I think he left because of his nut tap. But whoever's up top, you know, Gio Reyna, play a little back. Play more defensive. If we get it in our end, just boot it down the field. The moment the United States employed the park the bus strategy is the moment Iran had their first chance at a goal the entire day. Iran didn't even sniff an equalizer. They didn't sniff a goal all fucking match. And the moment the United States goes, okay, okay, forget what our game plan was. Forget playing like we want to win. Forget playing like it's 0-0. Forget the objective of the game, which is to score goals. Forget all of that. Let's play. Let's do everything to just uh, make sure that they don't score. And by make sure they don't score, I mean, let's not even remotely try to play any offense. Let's not even remotely try to possess the ball. Let's not even remotely threaten their goal. Let's do none of that. Let's just all 11 of us sit in our end. And if we get it, boot it down the field, because surely that'll work. The second the United States did that, Iran started threatening. It's the same shit for football. I don't care about that third and one. And to be honest with you, I'm not super upset at blowing, you know, at the Bills getting down there in 20 seconds and kicking the field goal. Obviously, at the time, I was quite sad. It was quite the bummer. Obviously, I wasn't happy about it, but I'm not super upset because, like I said, it's Josh Allen, it's Stephon Diggs. They're one of the teams that might win the Super Bowl, right? We were on a roll. We won three in a row. The defense had played very well most of the day. They they got some stops. They made some plays, and it was like, you know – It's just, you're playing Josh Allen. I was more upset when we got a number hung up on us by Geno Smith, even though he's been good, even though the Seahawks have been good. I can't live with Geno Smith tearing you apart. Josh Allen, okay. Shit, I mean, he's great. That's why they're great. That's why they're probably going to make the AFC championship. Just sometimes you play a guy who's better than you. I can live with it a little bit more. But the thing, if I was to get angry, about how that game ended and the way that they lost it just like the most lions fucking lions 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 fucking god damn it lions game i've seen in my life just lions if if someone asked me well what happened how'd that game end lions they'd know exactly what i'm talking about exactly oh you guys had a chance to put the dagger you didn't do it they got the ball back and hit a long ass field goal with like time expiring yep you got it that's how it goes Fucking good for at least one of them, probably two, maybe three every single year. Good for him. Yep, that's how it goes. That's what we do. Thanksgiving Day, Ford Field, louder than I've heard it in my life. Most people there since a Bears game in 2011. Looking for four in a row for Dan Campbell. Really now a chance to kind of work ourselves into the playoff picture, potentially. Um, The most real momentum the Lions have had since the Jim Caldwell era. Dan Campbell flying high would never have had a higher approval rating than if they somehow win that game. Aaron Glenn would not have had a higher approval rating than if they figure that out and it ends with his defense getting a stop. Um, Jared Goff, nobody would be questioning him. Nobody would be as concerned with, oh, what about Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or how about Lamar Jackson and free agency? None of that shit. It would have been a surreal time to be a Detroit Lions fan. And granted, that win would have only taken us to five and six. 
now we sit at four and seven. But that's how much momentum the Lions had. That's how big that game felt, where it felt like if we beat the Bills, we may not lose another game this year outside of maybe Minnesota. And the playoffs felt real. The playoffs would feel real, or at least a a God's honest run at them. That's what we were on the cusp of. And it was Thanksgiving Day, and the whole country's tuned in. And you watched Hard Knocks this year, not only in Detroit, not only in Michigan, coast-to-coast football fans got a peek at Dan Campbell, got a look at Aiden Hutchinson. They saw what was cooking in Detroit. And you get them against the Buffalo Bills after winning three straight, after a brutal start. And it feels fucking like real. It felt like something was happening. It felt like – it's going to bring a tear to my eye. It felt like Thanksgiving was the Detroit Lions day. It felt like it was our turn to have a word. It felt like it was Dan Campbell's moment to really say, yes, I know I say man a lot. I know I say some crazy shit like biting kneecaps. I understand. But yeah, America, that just fucking happened. It felt like it was Jared Goff's day to play real well and outduel Josh Allen and win a game. Felt like it was Aaron Glenn's day to bounce back this defense that was so bad to start the year. And the whole month of November, they just keep getting better and better and better. Aiden Hutchinson's day to let the rest of the country know, yeah, that's the defensive rookie of the year you're looking at. Yeah, what I did at Michigan, that wasn't a fluke. Yeah, second overall pick, fucking whoever had, was it Jacksonville? Whoever had one made a mistake. Felt like it was the city's day. The Thanksgiving parade. Games been played in Detroit on Thanksgiving every year since I believe 1934. Fucking Ford Field rocking. Rocking. Dude, it's a two-yard run. Places rocking. I've never heard it sound like that in my life. Rocking. Just the tradition, the history of the fucking team, the city, the fans. It felt like our day. It felt like Detroit Lions fans' day. We've suffered and suffered and suffered. We've played on Thanksgiving all these years and almost always are embarrassed or the game ends and we're sad and we're the butt of everybody's Thanksgiving dinner fucking jokes. Felt like this was our day. Hey, Lions fans. Fucking celebrated today. You guys did it. You guys got one. And you didn't just beat the Chicago Bears or you didn't beat some nobody team that's not going to make the playoffs. You beat one of the top three or four teams in the entire NFL with one of the most electrifying quarterbacks in the league. You guys did that, and it's four in a row. And you've got more momentum than you've had since 2015. And the fan base is behind you. And the city's behind you. And now you're going to be talked about Monday morning on ESPN. You're going to be talked about on national radio. God knows you're going to be talked about by Nick Bradley right here on this show. People are going to be excited. They're going to wear their Honolulu blue out to the bar that weekend. There was going to be something fucking special. And it's all, it was five and six. I don't know if that's how desperately we needed it or wanted it or or just that's how close it felt, but we were going to be five and six and it felt like the Detroit Lions were going to summit Mount Everest if they won that game Thursday. Now I'm recording this on the Tuesday of the following week, so I'm not as upset, not as sad anymore. I've had some time. And it is what it is. Again, it comes back to the whole thing. This was never going to be the Lions year. And the game was encouraging. But I do agree. Like at some point, and I know it's early, Dan Campbell, it's year two. We're going to get a bunch of help. Five picks, top 65, 90 million in cap space. Like next year, next year will be the real fucking deal year where it's results, results, results. And I don't want to be negative, but it's like, As much as you want to pump everyone's tires about the game, 
it's a results business and we lost. So I don't know. That's what it is. It was a good Thanksgiving though. Quick break. All right, we got to talk the game. Before we get into it, I I will address, this is a special moment, folks. I appreciate everybody who's been along the ride, any of the newcomers, if you just joined this football season. Um, This is, I believe, going to be the last podcast of the year where all we talk is football. We're going to do another one Friday. And in that one, We're going to talk some Red Wings. We're going to talk Michigan, Purdue. We're going to talk the Lions, Jacksonville. And I'll probably talk a little Michigan State, Penn State, because to be quite frank, and I hate to do this as a Michigan State guy, to all my Spartan dogs out there listening right now, I can't talk about that game yet. I'm I'm going to punch a fucking hole in my laptop screen if I attempt to. I'm not going to talk about that game yet. I can already feel I one minute, one minute since I hit the record button, I can feel just getting warm. I can feel my blood boiling a little bit. So we're not going to talk about Michigan State, Penn State. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do for that, to be honest with you. Like I might just do a solo episode where the only thing I talk about is Michigan State. Not only that game against Penn State, but I just talk about the entire season as a whole talking about what we need to do going into the offseason, just the state of the program, the state of the fan base from my perspective, the the temperature of the fan base. So maybe that'll be one of those episodes where I get your guys' suggestions. I just go, hey, we're talking MSU football only. Questions, comments, concerns, throw them in. We'll talk five, ten of them, whatever the case is. That might just be – that might be next week. Just an hour of Michigan State football because, to be quite frank, I don't – I. Yeah, there, I, I don't know. There's just too much I got to say. And Michigan, uh, Michigan's the more pressing matter. Plain and simple. I fucking hate to say it. Do you know how badly I said this exact same shit, dude? I said this exact same shit. I was probably sitting in the same spot I am right now, which is kind of crazy to think about. Actually, no, I definitely wasn't because I lived in a hotel the first month I lived in California. But it was right after I had moved out here. And I remember doing a podcast alone alone in my hotel room and just saying that, God damn it. Do I wish it was Michigan state going to Indianapolis? Like, and the, you know, what's crazy is last year was an awesome year. We beat Michigan. We were 11 and two. We had Kenneth Walker. We beat Miami. That was a sick game. We beat Penn state in the snow game. Like last year was an awesome fucking season. And I remember doing the podcast after the regular season ended. And the only thing I could think about is just how bad I wished it was MSU in the game in Indy. Not only that, but how empty the season felt. Like as great as it was, as fun as it was, we're not going to Indy. So like, what does it really matter? I don't know. And now here we are a full calendar year later. A year that I've lived in California, a much different season for Michigan State, and even more so, defeatedly, I say it today, Michigan is the more pressing matter. They stomped Ohio State in Columbus. They'll be playing Purdue in Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship this Saturday. And even if they do lose, unless they lose by 70, they're going to make the college football playoff. And Michigan State is 5-7 and seven off back-to-back losses, an embarrassing loss to a bad Indiana team, and then a loss, not embarrassing, but not good, a loss in which I thought MSU played really poorly. I thought it was just as dead and as flaccid, as dead fish, like a fucking trout. That has just been out of water sitting on the beach for like nine days. It was a that performance for Michigan State football. Offensively, defensively. Oh, that's my that's my watch. Sorry. Defensively, special teams, the coaching staff, the quarterback play, everything. 
and I have to stop talking about him. They'll do their own episode because Michigan's going to the big time. You got to be happy if you're a Michigan fan. That's that's in my lifetime. That's probably the best game Michigan's ever played. I think, right? I don't know. I know they was it 2000. Is it 2004? Before last year, 2004 was the last time they won the Big Ten. I was seven, so I don't know anything that happened in 2004. Maybe they had some better games then. I couldn't tell you. I have no clue who they played. I have no clue what that – did they play USC in the Rose Bowl to end that season? I think they lost that game, so maybe this Ohio State game is still better. I don't know if they beat. They probably did beat Ohio State that year. I don't know, but this has to be, if not number one, at least top two victory in my lifetime for Michigan football with last year's Ohio state victory, probably being number three or or two, whatever those two, the last two years against Ohio state being two of the top three Michigan games of my life. I mean, to do what they did to Ohio state on the road after they did something very similar last year is an unbelievable accomplishment. They were 11 and one last year. They won the Big Ten championship. They went to 12 and one, and they lost to Georgia in the college football playoff. That's an unbelievable season. They won the Big Ten for the first time in 17 years. That's an unbelievable season. They followed that up by going 12 and 0, by being Ohio State, not only on the road, but worse, by beating Michigan State this time around. 12 and 0, undefeated. Chance to go 13-0 and returning to the college football playoff and returning as a team that feels better than they were last year. And not only better, but noticeably better. Like, considerably better. And the craziest part is they made a quarterback change from last season. They lost two of, if not their two best, three best defensive players in Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo. Daxton Hill, all of them gone. And the defense is somehow better. Jesse Minter, I know he's the new hot commodity. Everybody's been singing his praises and how great of a job he's done at U of M this year. Maybe he's the missing piece because I think it was the Ravens guy, right? Like Mike McDonald was the defensive coordinator last year. Maybe it's Minter. Maybe these guys behind Hutch and Ojabo and everybody else, everyone Jim has been recruiting is just that good, whatever the case is. The offense, they punished people on the ground last year with Hassan Haskins. Now Blake Corum, he's not going to win the Heisman. Hate to hate to down on the parade, but I got to call a spade a spade. He never should have. He never would have. He never should have even been mentioned in the conversation. Hate to break it to you, but it's the fucking truth. Um, he's not going to win the Heisman, but he had a season that had people talking about him potentially winning the Heisman. I mean, we knew Hassan Haskins was a dog last year, and we knew Blake Corum was a dog. He just didn't get the lion's share of the carries. Blake Corum was a revelation this year in the starting role, just like the production he put up was fucking nuts. A team who won games and dominated opponents through their physicality and offensive line play, again, got better at it. I think they returned most, if not all, of their offensive line starters. And then they brought in Olu Oluwatami, however you say his name, the Virginia transfer at center. But their offensive line was sick last year, and it's better this year. It's better this year. They returned Cornelius Johnson. They returned Roman Wilson. They returned Andrell Anthony, and they got back Ronnie Bell. Eric All didn't play this year, but this Loveland guy apparently is the future. It's like Michigan, as good as they were, they had a historic season last year historic, the best season they've had since 2004. And they followed it up with an even better team. An even more historic season. Do you know how challenging that is? Do you know how hard it would have been for Michigan to go like 10 and 2 in the regular season? Do you know how hard it would have been for them to repeat at 11 and one, it's fucking insane that they went 12 and 0. They beat Michigan State. They beat Penn State by a lot, mind you. And they beat Ohio State by a lot at the shoe. 
forget the game. We will talk about the game itself. But coming in, this is the first time since I was a toddler. Let me say that again. This was the first time since I was a toddler that the Ohio State Buckeyes have had any reason to have any sort of chip on their shoulder for the game, to have any sort of vim and vigor facing off against Michigan, any reason to just be upset, any reason to really fucking put it all on the line. And I'm not saying the last 10, 15, however many years Ohio State's dominated, they haven't had that energy and they haven't really wanted to kick Michigan's ass. I'm sure they have, and they've done a great job of it. Whatever, this is the second time Michigan's won the game and. 15 years or more, 20 years. I don't even know how many, a lot of years, but they've won the last two. But Ohio State had motivation this time, right? They kind of got emasculated at the big house last year. They got dominated. The ball ran down their throat. C.J. Stroud was abused. Ohio State's offensive line was abused. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't really throw the ball, much like this year. I mean, it almost was like a carbon copy of last year's game, but they just turned it up one notch. Just turned it up a little bit. A little more flame from the Wolverines. It was nuts to see. It was nuts to see, A, the fact that that Michigan, after the way the first half went, Ohio State was up 20-17 to 17 at half. It was nuts to see the way that Michigan answered in that second half and just fucking dominated them. Like Ohio State, that whole second half, I can't even remember one instance or Ohio State had a shred of momentum. I can't think back to one series, one drive, one play where it was like, oh, okay, Ohio State. Oh, this is okay. Ohio State's going to make their run. I can't think back to anything. From the moment the second half started, it was all Michigan, and Ohio State had nothing to answer it with. It was truly, it was truly unbelievable. And then you, on top of that, Michigan's doing it the same exact way they did it last year. Blake Corum, their stud tailback, isn't even playing. They're just handing it off. Donovan Edwards, 75, 75, 75. Their offensive line is just moving you. Their offensive line's getting combo blocks up to linebackers, kicking out ends, and clearing four-yard wide holes. And Donovan Edwards sprints through them, and there's nobody left on the Ohio State defense. They're out-scheming you. And meanwhile, their offensive line is kicking your defensive line's fucking ass every time they want to, any way they want to, every single time Michigan's offensive line is winning. And for some reason, what do you know? They keep popping big plays. They want to run the ball. It's Donovan Edwards sprinting alone for 70 yards every time they want it. They finally, they decide to throw the ball. Maybe Ohio State sells out on the fake. Cornelius Johnson, one-on-one, makes one guy miss a tackle. He's sprinting alone. The number of just big plays Michigan hit, and it was because the offensive line, whether it was moving guys in the run game or picking up a blitz and giving J.J. just enough time to make a play, whether it was those guys, Donovan Edwards, Cornelius Johnson, hitting a hole, making a guy miss, and then just raw speed in the open field. The number of times in Michigan made Ohio State pay and hit on a massive fucking play. I've like never forget Michigan, Ohio State. I swear I've never seen Michigan do that in general. I swear I've never seen a Michigan offense who it's just big play, big play, big play, big play, big play. Right? We've seen some good Michigan offenses, and this offense itself has been very good most of the year. But it's been pretty methodical. It's been run, run, play action, run, pass, pass, play action, run. Like, it's been methodical. It's been longer drives. It's been four yards, five yards. It hasn't been 70 off the field, two plays, 80 off the field, one play, 80 off the field. It has never been that for this team this year and never really has been that for this program in my lifetime that I can remember, really. And they dismantled Ohio State. I don't know what Jim Knowles and Ohio State were doing or why their game plan was the way that it was. It seemed like every single time, well, I was going to say Donovan Edwards hit it big, but every single time anybody for U of M, Loveland, he had a long catch. 
any time U of M scored on one of those long plays, it seemed like Ohio State was sending the house and playing man up with no help across the board. I don't know if they were that worried about Michigan's run game. I don't know if they had that little confidence in their defensive line, their linebackers, to, to identify plays, to get off blocks, to plug holes, whatever the case is. I don't know, but it felt like every single time Ohio State got beat big on a play, it came back to the fact that, oh, Cornelius Johnson, he caught it on the curl route and he made his guy miss and nobody was left. Oh, Donovan Edwards, he hit the hole on the right side. Nobody was there. Oh, Donovan Edwards, he hit the hole on the right side. Nobody was there. Oh, Loveland, double move. His guy bit. Nobody was there. I don't know why that was the play for Ohio State. I really don't. Because it's interesting. You look at what Michigan State did against U of M, and we still gave up 29, right? It wasn't like Michigan State solved them. But you could look at Illinois just last week. They held Michigan in check really well. They had a chance. They were in the game until the very end, and Money Moody iced them. But you look at these inferior teams, right? I mean, Ohio State was 11-0. Ohio State was ranked the number two team in the country. Ohio State was the favorite to win that game, according to Las Vegas. And those guys know what the fuck they're talking about. It's it's mind-blowing that we never saw that when Michigan State played Michigan. We didn't see Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum spring any for over 20, 30 yards. Yeah, they had a few big plays, but nothing like what they had against Ohio State. We didn't see that against Illinois. That In fact, they kind of struggled to move the ball. They really struggled once they crossed the 50-yard line. We didn't see any of these big plays against Illinois, and Illinois is a good football team. And, yeah, Michigan State's defense got better as the season wore on, but still I don't think anybody would call me crazy for saying certainly talent-wise, but also statistically and just what you would expect uh, for overall performance. Ohio State as a team and as a defense is better than both of those teams. It's kind of mind-boggling that Ohio State elected to play defense that way all night. And it, A, clearly didn't work. I mean, I I don't know if I love that style of defense against anybody. I don't know if I love that style of defense if we're playing Northwestern, let alone a team like Michigan who's got a guy like J.J. McCarthy who can make all of the throws and can beat you with the legs who have guys on the outside in Cornelius Johnson, Ronnie Bell, et cetera, that are explosive, that are very talented, that were highly touted athletes in high school, that have guys like Donovan Edwards, who were one of the best running backs in the country when they came out. It's an interesting strategy to go, all right, our defensive philosophy today at every skill position, um, it's going to be one-on-one. And if you miss the tackle or, or don't defend the pass or you bite on the fake, whatever, it's a touchdown. It's an interesting strategy because a team like Michigan state who was pounded all year for their bad defense, we had something better than that going. We forced a few field goals. We forced Michigan to punt a couple times. Donovan Edwards wasn't ripping 80 yarder after 80 yarder against Michigan state, Illinois, their season ended kind of disappointingly. They figured it out a little bit. They held Michigan to under 20. It was Jake Moody that won that game. Not J.J. McCarthy, not the tailback, not the wide receivers. It was their kicker that had to win Michigan that game. So what is it that Ohio State is thinking? Jim Knowles, what is it that they're doing that makes them go, hmm, let's just play it man up everywhere. And I don't really buy the reasoning either that, oh, well, Illinois has got a great front four. Oh, Michigan State. I don't think Michigan State has a great front four. I think Jacob Slade's pretty good. Illinois, yeah, they probably have a pretty good front four. You can't tell me that either of those two teams have a better, more talented, higher caliber of athlete, of player in their front four than Ohio State. It's just simply not true. You look at the recruiting rankings, it's just not true. So I don't know. That was mind-boggling to me, especially, too, when Michigan, it was 20-17. to Michigan scored twice in the first half, one of those plays being the Cornelius Johnson play. And then the second half starts and they hit it with Donovan Edwards or or Ben Loveland. I think he scored in the second half. I can't remember, but it was another big play. 
it was shocking to me the lack of adjustment from Ohio State. Like I get, okay, fine. Maybe whatever reason you want it, that's the game plan. Okay, by the second or surely by the third time that being in that man across the board toasts you, whether it's because nobody's left to tackle Edwards or Loveland out and out and up burns you or Cornelius Johnson breaking a tackle toasts you, whether whatever it is, by the second, for sure by the third time you get burned, how is an adjustment not made by Jim Knowles? How does he not go, all right, you know what, we're, we're, we got to point at least a man high, two man high. Like, you got to do something. And credit to Michigan, dude. Credit to Jim Harbaugh. As great as all of those guys were that I've mentioned, credit to Jim Harbaugh and credit to Sharon Moore. They fucking owned Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. They owned him. I mean, they identified what they were doing and they exploited it about as well as you possibly could. I mean, the fact that they were calling plays that fourth quarter, it was, okay, fucking, yeah, off tackle right. Everybody gets a block and it's a touchdown. Like that's where Michigan was sitting in that fourth quarter. Off tackle right, if everybody gets a block and they will get a block because our offensive line is, nuts we're gonna score a touchdown and then they could come out the very next drive and do it again same play almost everybody gets their block there's gonna be nobody left and it's gonna be a touchdown and then they could do it again everybody gets a block and donovan edwards has nobody around them touchdown Uh, the fact that they identified it and the fact that they kept going to it and they were executing and they had faith. Just everything, like, you have to tip your hat to Michigan. It was unbelievably coached, unbelievably executed. After the way the first half went, it w- it didn't feel like that game was going that way. It really didn't. I mean, Ohio State was winning. Ohio State's offense was scoring. Ohio State's offense was not the same offense that we saw in the second half. They were running it. They were throwing it. There was a nice mix. They were going down the field. They were going underneath. C.J. Stroud looked comfortable. Like Ohio State was moving the ball pretty easily, pretty effectively in the first half and certainly was stopping the ball more effectively in the first half. And then the halftime came and everything fucking switched. Everything switched. We talked about Michigan's offense exploiting them. (gasps) I don't know what happened with Ohio State. And this is where the Ryan Day thing is going to become interesting because it's like on one hand, if you're Ohio State, Ryan Day's recruited his nuts off since he took over for Urban. And granted, it's Ohio State. Urban kind of built something. He built somewhat of an institution there. So, you know, I could take that job and we'd probably recruit top 10 classes to Columbus every year, just calling it like it is. But Ryan Day has done a very good job recruiting top three, top two every single year. You're still like you were still in that position, right? You were still 11 and 0. You were still one win away from being the Big Ten champion again, right? Like that's just, it's hard to sit and go, let's get rid of this guy because had a bad game, you know? Didn't make halftime adjustments, lost to Michigan. And I understand it's your arch rival and I understand everything was on the line in that game. And I understand he did a very poor job making adjustments in the second half. I mean, the offense couldn't do shit in the second half. It was mind-blowing to watch that as well. I don't understand. You have Marvin Harrison Jr. Fucking throw it to him. You have Julian Fleming. Throw it up to him. Like, just, it's the same exact bullshit I said about Michigan State. We have Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed. You've got Julian Fleming, five-star, and you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., the best receiver in college football. Just fucking throw it to him. At least once, at least twice. Just throw it to him a couple times. Try to make some plays. Don't call offense like a bunch of pussies, Ohio State. And I don't know why they got away from the run so much. The run was working in the first half. The run worked. They were getting three, four, five yards of carry. It was helping to set up play action. It kept the Michigan's defense off balance. The pass rushers couldn't just pin their ears back and go get C.J. Stroud. It opened up the passing game. Second half, I feel like Ohio State didn't run the ball at all. I feel like they completely abandoned it. It felt like their offense turned into 
the Ohio State offense of a couple years ago that was hanging 60 on Michigan, where all they did was run underneath crossing routes. And Michigan did the Ohio State thing and was in man coverage and was outmatched, and they were chasing guys like Paris Campbell around the field all day. It felt like Ohio State, for whatever, in the second half decided, you know what, we're only going to call five-yard passes. Throw it up to your guys one time. I understand. Will Johnson, DJ Turner are good. I get it. Listen, playing cornerback is so fucking hard. You saw Keon Coleman have success with it, and it still pisses me off that MSU got away. You've seen MSU do it to him before with guys like Ricky White, Aaron Burbridge. I understand Will Johnson's nasty. I get it. I get their secondaries. Dude, do you understand how hard it is to play cornerback in man coverage? And then when the receiver you're covering is Marvin Harrison Jr., just throw it up a couple times. Probably, worst case, probably, it's going to end up being a flag and you'll get 15 anyway. And then getting away from the run when that was working, I just don't understand it. I mean, credit to Michigan. Their front four is good. Their front seven's real good. Their secondary's good. Michigan's really fucking good. Make no mistake. I've said that a few times now the last few weeks. I think... I was saying it before they beat us, definitely after they beat us. Michigan's really fucking good. Make no mistake about it. That second half was just so perplexing, though. Like the way Ohio State looked like a completely different team on both sides of the football. It was something I I haven't seen. I don't know. Like I don't know what I would even compare it to. Just the lack of continuity in what they were doing. And Michigan did a great job flipping the script. Michigan, it's not like they were bad in the first half. I mean, the first half was fun. It was pretty even keel, back and forth, both teams scoring. Michigan just locked in to what their game plan was, um, made the adjustments, found after a half of play, they identified Ohio State's weaknesses and ways that they could beat it on both sides of the ball, and they did just that. They executed marvelously. Jim Harbaugh did a hell of a job, and they won the fucking game. They kicked their ass. They kicked Ohio State's ass at the horseshoe, plain and simple. And now they're 12 and up. Now they're going to Indy. They're going to play Purdue Saturday. They're going to kick their ass too. It's fucking Purdue, which I know we say it every year, but God damn it, it's so stupid, the Big Ten West. It's so dumb how the Big Ten West. Purdue? What's Purdue's record? What are they, 8-4? and four? Purdue is who, oh, Michigan, you just beat Ohio State. The final test, the Big Ten Championship. Purdue? Come on, guys. What are they eight and four? Let me see. I, I have to see now. Eight and four Purdue. Stands in Michigan's way. Oh no. Eight and four Purdue. Oh shit. You're gonna kill Purdue. Of course they're gonna kill Purdue. Purdue tries to play like Ohio State, and they're way worse at it. They're gonna fucking stomp Purdue. They are. It just is what it is. It's how the world works. So good for Michigan fans. If you're a Michigan fan, I ask you this. Feel free to chirp. Feel free to tuck, scam and tuck, whatever. Okay, whatever. I don't care. You just won the big 10 and you're talking about Mel Tucker. That's weird. Um, Whatever. Chirp, I don't care. You earned it. You're the best team in the big 10. One of the top four in college football. Absolutely. Maybe the best. Probably you in Georgia. I ask Michigan fans that are listening to this right now. Take a moment today, take a moment tomorrow, take a moment the next day. Just take like 30 seconds and just think about how fucking awesome the last two-year run you've been on is. Yes, that MSU loss was snuck in there, but these two seasons you've just stuck together back-to-back, it's a special, a special get. And I know it's like, oh, the dynasty's just getting started Look, Jim Harbaugh tried to bounce to the NFL last year. Who knows what's going to happen this year? College football in general is an unpredictable sport. Shit happens. Teams are great, and then they're not. You're going to have to replace guys every year. And even though they did a good job of it this year, doesn't mean they do a great job the next. Just you are on a two-year run that not many programs get to experience. Maybe Clemson, maybe Florida State for a bit there, maybe Oregon, Alabama, certainly Georgia. And that's kind of LSU, maybe Ohio State. Not too many programs, fan bases get to experiment, experience 
what you've gotten to, the amount of games you've won, the types of games you've won, the way you've won them, the players you've had, the moments, the memories at the big house, on the road, wherever. Just take a moment and fucking appreciate. Like, take, they're soak it in because it's unbelievable. And take it from me, a five and seven Michigan State fan. I'd do fucking anything to see my guys at the highest level. So hats off, Michigan. Congratulations. You beat Ohio State again. We'll see you Friday, folks.